Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare live nation presents concert week now through may 14th get 25 dollar tickets to over 5,000 shows that's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me, and we have a terrific show lined up for you. Two guests this week, and we begin with Chris Broussard, NBA insider over at Fox Sports 1. We take a deep dive into the Derrick Rose situation in Cleveland. Will Rose be back? Do the Cavs need him back? And could this be the end for Rose as an NBA player? We get into the Cavs and Celtics a little bit here, too. A little bit later on, I sit down with Vince Ellis of the Detroit Free Press. Pistons have been one of the NBA's early season surprises. Andre Drummond is making his free throws. Avery Bradley is fitting in. How sustainable is all this for the Pistons? Get into all that more with Vince Ellis of the Detroit Free Press. So stick around for that and much more right now. This is the Vertical Podcast. Hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Bring our exposure. To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the mouth. Chris Mannix. Yes. All right, so a lot to get into this week. We've got some uh, injuries happening in the NBA that have shaken up the board a little bit. Uh, in a, a departure from one key team, of course, the Celtics just keep rolling along. Um, they had a, a, a their winning streak broken up last week, but they're starting a new one, it seems like. And uh, the Celtics sustainability gets more and more likely, it seems, by the week. To talk about that and much more, let's bring Chris Broussard. You've uh, seen him over at ESPN. He's now at Fox Sports 1. Does a great job over there. And he joins me here uh, on the show. Chris, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, man, it's a pleasure to be on with you. A lot happening in the league, as you just said. Yeah, a lot happening. And, and I want to start in Cleveland with uh, what's going on right now with Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose has been out for the last couple of weeks uh, with that ankle injury. But now he's out for maybe the rest of his career. I mean, it might not be too <laughs> hyperbolic to to say that. I mean, Rose uh, left the team is reevaluating his basketball future, going through some personal stuff, 
Tyron Lue said the team had his back. But, you know, listening to the comments from players over the last couple of days, Chris, whether it's LeBron or Wade, it doesn't sound like that the Cavaliers are are even expecting much from Rose here. I mean, he wasn't giving them a ton anyway, but as far as coming back, it's it's sort of, if I'm reading between the lines, it's more about, hey, we hope he's kind of at peace with all this. It's less about we need him back. Yeah, I mean, look, they've won seven straight without him, so obviously they know they can play good ball without him. Uh, he wasn't lighting the world on fire. He was okay, you know, 14 points a game, 47% shooting, not bad, but they also know, you know, those players are seeing Isaiah Thomas work out. And while we don't know exactly what he's going to be like when he returns, I'm sure that they're getting good feelings about, you know, seeing him come back. And, you know, there's all the talk that he'll be back in December before January when they first started giving the timetable. So I think that helps. And then also Rose, you know, everybody kind of wondered, people in the league, how he would fit with LeBron James. He is one more, and they've got a number, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, when he gets back. they got a number of guys that like to handle the ball a lot, don't particularly shoot the three-pointer very well, and those types of guys can have trouble playing with LeBron. So you kind of saw that with Rose, um, and then it was like, do we need a Rose and a Dwayne Wade? So they'll take him back, obviously, if he, if he comes back. But if he doesn't, I don't think they're going to feel like it's going to kill their season uh, in any way, shape, or form. I think he'll be back. I mean, he's got to give up $80 million from Adidas. You know, he's got that shoe contract. Mm -hmm. If he retires, he's leaving that on the table. He thought he was going to get a max deal, um, you know, this summer. Most people knew he wasn't, but Rose thought he was. Obviously, that didn't come true. So I'm not saying he needs money, but certainly he, I don't see him walking away from $80 million when there's no max contract in the, on the horizon for him unless he and Adidas were to work out some type of buyout where he got close to the amount that they owe him. I just don't see him turning away that type of money. Yeah, the Derrick Rose situation to me is more about Derrick Rose than it is the Cavaliers because – you know, everything you said is right. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, it seems like he's getting closer and closer, though I'm still really interested to see what happens when he starts going through contact and he takes that first or second fall uh, during a game on that hip. How does yeah. it react? That That's something I'm, I'm still wondering about. But, you know, Derek Rose, if he doesn't come back this year, his career's over. It's done. Yeah. You can't, you're already a fairly flawed player at this point. You can put up some numbers as he did in his last game against Washington, beat up on John Wall in the first quarter of that game. Um, but if he, do, he doesn't defend anyway. So if you're a one-dimensional guy and you're, you're, you've now no-showed or bailed on your team twice in the same calendar year, two different teams just ghosting on them, that, that you know, look, I've talked to a few, not every GM, but a few of them, and the responses I've gotten are, no, no, we wouldn't we wouldn't take him. I had a couple, you know, point to Darren Williams and say he's kind of become, you know, the this year's version yeah. of Darren, where if he, if he doesn't make it back and doesn't come back and show he can play, his career is over in the NBA. Well, you saw this summer, I mean, the interest was just minimal. And again, this is a guy, and most people knew it wasn't happening, but Derrick Rose really thought he was getting, if not the max, close to it. Yeah. He was shell-shocked, you know, by the lack of offers. 
So I agree with you. And what Derrick Rose is going through, look, the injuries, obviously, that is what's ruined his career. And, you know, he keeps getting hurt with these little nagging injuries. So I'm sure that's a big part of it. But what this really boils down to is that he, for his entire life, has been a superstar. And NBA, or not NBA, a basketball superstar, whether it was high school, whether it was college, and early on in his NBA career. That's what he's been. And now he clearly is not that. He's not even close. He's not regarded as being a top player anymore. That's a big part of this, too. He is having trouble dealing with the fact that he can no longer dominate and be a great basketball player. And I get it. You know, we've seen, I mean, Penny Hardaway, Grant Hill, they had to deal with it. Now, they obviously could handle it, figured it out, and, you know, played for several years as just pretty good players, mediocre players. Rose is having trouble with it. It was the case in New York. It's the case this year. Um, and, and it's showing that for all – when you talk about GMs and teams that would look at him, beyond what he can't do anymore on the basketball court, because you said it one-dimensional. We know he's never been a great defender. But even offensively, he's not a great passer. He's not like a pass-first point guard that's going to run your offense. He is a guy that can penetrate and finish. That's it. No jump shot, no three-pointer. He's penetrating and finishing, and that's pretty much it. But beyond that, teams are questioning how mentally stable or tough is this guy. And they're feeling like he's not very mentally tough because we saw it in New York last year. We see it now here in Cleveland. And it's just a sad situation because – Obviously, the injuries are what derailed him, but all of those things are factoring into whether or not he could continue his NBA career. And as you said, I'm hearing the same thing from a lot of teams, that they wouldn't really be interested in him if he doesn't get back with Cleveland this year and show that he can be a valuable piece. Yeah, I've heard the same kind of mentally tough questions as well, almost in in amazement too, Chris, from some of the people I've talked to, that they're shocked that he has proven to be the uh, this mentally fragile over the last uh, year or so. I mean, this was a guy that that overcame adversity in his life yeah. and, you know, got, you know, you know, made it in college basketball, made it as the number one pick in the draft, What was an MVP. I mean, it, it took a lot for a guy like him to get there. But I'm in complete agreement with you on the mental part of Derrick Rose, I think, has taken a hit because of the physical, because his yep. body won't let him do what his mind still believes he can, and and he, I talked to him in the preseason. He came in, he, he was he'd lost weight, he was enthusiastic. He was telling me, and he was telling people in his inner circle, you know, I, I'm giddy about this. This is my chance here in Cleveland to reboot my career, and you know, an ankle injury you know, seems to have been the straw that broke the camel's back on this. On this, uh, this yeah, guy. And yeah, I, I was hearing the same things as you, and I got to be honest, I, I thought, and I said it on the air, I thought Derrick Rose would have a really strong season in Cleveland. Because as you said, I was hearing the same things. He's looking great in the summer in the workouts with the team. He's really focused on his body. He's actually taking some things out of LeBron James's book and is just really you know focused on being in the best shape he can. You saw him when he played. He was thinner. I don't know if that's always a good thing. He, he had slimmed down a little bit. He really looked good physically. 
And remember, last, last year, he averaged in the dysfunction that was New York. And I'm not saying he had a great year. But that was a horrible situation. Carmelo was there. That was a mess. They were losing the Phil Jackson fiasco. He averaged 18 points on 47% shooting in, that, in an offense triangle that has never been geared toward a point guard, you know, doing his thing. And so I had talked to people that thought, look, he gets in a system that's not the triangle. You know, he can really have a strong season. And, and, and something I thought, when Isaiah got back, there might be a little question as to what you do because I expected Rose to be averaging about 18 or 19 points, playing really well, and the team to be winning. Obviously, that's not been the case. So if, if I expected it, you were hearing things. You know he thought he was going to have a big year. And it began with the physical, but I think it's taken the toll mentally. And, again, this is a kid that has always been a superstar. Look, it happened later in his career, and it wasn't really due to injuries. But look at Allen Iverson. When he went to Detroit, you know, even though it didn't go great in Denver, he still put up big numbers, was still an all-star and a top player in the league, even though he and Melo kept going, went out in the first round. But when he went to Detroit and they wanted him coming off the bench and he, he wasn't the same, you know, they, the offense wasn't geared around him. He couldn't do the same things individually that he had been accustomed to doing his entire career, it was really tough on him mentally. He couldn't handle it. Then he goes to Memphis. They want him to come off the bench. He can't handle it and accept it, so he leaves the game. So, I mean, this happens with guys that are used to being superstars and have that their whole life when they can no longer be that. It's tough on them. Fortunately for Iverson, it happened later in his career after he had already had a Hall of Fame career. Unfortunately for Rose, it happened when he really should be in his prime. And he's never, even if he continues to play, it looks like he'll never get close to being the player he was. We kind of knew that. But I don't, he'll never get close to all-star form again, and that, that's sad. Yeah, we'll see what happens with him. But you, you mentioned the Cavaliers and how they're just rolling along right now. And we should note that the schedule hasn't been great. They've beaten up on some of the also-rans out there, the Dallases. Taken out Charlotte twice, beat the reeling Clippers. Uh, Brooklyn was was on their hit list. But when you watch Cleveland play, are you seeing anything that makes you think that there's there's a light at the end of this tunnel here? Because even though they're winning, they still right now, Chris, they're 29th in the NBA in defensive de- uh, efficiency. And they don't have to be a top 10 team to be successful there. But they're not getting much better. And they're still giving up 100-plus points every night pretty regularly. I was going to say, I mean, you watch these games, and, yeah, they're playing better, obviously seven straight wins. But defensively, they're still bad. They're still virtually horrible, you know, defensively. (laughs) And as you said, I mean, the Detroit win was incredibly impressive. You know, Detroit's been playing good basketball, and to blow them out, that was a good look. But the Clippers, a team that's really struggling, they go to overtime with them at home. Charlotte, a, a, a struggling team. They beat them by a point. Brooklyn, not a good team. You know, they win by double digits, but, you know, it wasn't, you know, they didn't look incredibly impressive in that game. You know, the Knicks take them to, you know, uh, make them play a tough game and come from behind and win. So they haven't been playing great basketball. What you see is that LeBron James is playing out of his mind. I mean, you know, he's still incredibly in his 15th year 
probably the best player in the world. Um, that gives you hope. That's what makes you feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I still think that they're going to win the East. I know Boston is looking great, and we'll get to them. But I, I said it before, when the season started, I was 100% Cleveland's winning the East. When Gordon Hayward went down in game one, I was 110% they're winning the East. Now, a week ago, I was at 80 Maybe now I'm 75%. I still have them as the overwhelming favorites because LeBron, you know, is who he is and, and, and what he's done in the past, and he still looks great. Um, you, Dwayne Wade really seems to be fitting in a little bit better, accepting that role with the second unit as their leader, and their bench is much stronger, giving them much more production than last year. Obviously, you got Isaiah coming back. So, look, I still think they can win the East. And the, the funny thing is we're – we're now acting like that's a huge accomplishment. Hmm. You know, I've been in it myself, and, and I've heard everybody, oh, they're still going to win the East, they're going to win the East. That's not the goal. And I see, as far as your light at the end of the tunnel, I haven't seen anything to make me think they can challenge Golden State. And that's the problem. I think they can win the East, but they can't challenge Golden State, no matter how well LeBron's playing, unless these other guys step it up. And I just fear that they're too old to be a really good defensive team. Because against Golden State, you're not outscoring them. You have to get stops. Boston showed getting stops is what can help you beat Golden State. Cleveland can't get stops when they need them, and that's going to be their undoing if they do get to the finals and face the Warriors. Here's why I take the the reverse of your position on Boston Cleveland. I think it's 75, 80% that Boston wins right wow. now. And, and maybe I'm. Now, what were you at the beginning of the season? Uh, beginning of the season, I would have said, even with a healthy Hayward, I would have said 20, 25%. But this defense in Cleveland has fallen off a cliff so badly. And and as you said, I don't think they get better. I mean, older guys don't get better defensively. Dwayne Wade, not going to get better. Uh, Rose, if he comes back, not going to get better. I love Isaiah Thomas, not in a high level defensive player, a very average at best defensive player. They'll outscore teams, as they've done during this winning streak, but I've watched a lot of Boston. I, I probably watched them more than any team in the league, and their defense is real. Like, they're, the stops that they can get, that's not going away. They are as as good a switching team as I've seen in basketball right now. They, they switch basically one to five. So if you try to screen them and create mismatches, yeah. they don't care. They're, they're going up against you on, on, on those types of switches every single time. And that's not going to change. And they've got guys, Chris, who I think are going to get better. I think Tatum, he might hit a wall in January, February. But you look at the minutes for the Celtics. They're right around the each one guy is like the low 30s, high 20s. Yeah. And Brad Stevens has really been masterful. Though. I'm saying a bunch here, but there's a there's a whole list of reasons why I think that Cleveland right now is an underdog against the Celtics. And, and Brad's the top of that list. I mean, a lot of people are effusive in their praise of Brad Stevens. I am as well, but... There's a truth to having a to the fact that Boston, against virtually every team in the East, has a major coaching advantage. He's that good, and I think he'd be an asset to Cleveland series. No, he's tremendous. There's no question about it. And and as a quick aside, you know Kyrie Irving has been great. We all know that, and he's getting better. Like his numbers aren't blowing you away overall. I mean, they're still really good. Twenty three points a game. But he's getting better and better. At this rate, he could end up averaging 25 before it's all said and done. 
shooting a higher percentage as, as the season goes on. But for as great as Kyrie has been, I think the, re- the most impressive person in that organization to date has been Brad Stevens. I mean, he has – it is incredible what he's done, not only without Gordon Hayward, but with a young team. You covered the league a long time. To have a young player, second-year player, fresh off a of one-and-done like Jalen Brown and a Jason Tatum, who is a rookie, to have them – and then Kyrie Irving, as your point guard, has never been a great defender. To have those three on, in your starting lineup and be as great defensively as you are, to lose Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder and get better defensively, it's incredible what he has done. Incorporate the new pieces the way he has. I'm with you on Stevens. That would be a huge advantage for them in the playoff series. And I will admit this. There is an element in, in picking Cleveland still, and, and most people around the league fall into this category. There is an element of just giving LeBron James the benefit of the doubt. That's really what it is. Because as you said, even if as they've won seven straight, there's really no reason to look at them on the floor and say they're going to beat Boston other than LeBron and his history. And it's not like he's fading. It's not like he's not playing as well. Some people think it's the best season of his career. So we, and we've seen Cleveland struggle in the regular season. Last year, I believe they were 30 and 30 over their final 60 games. They were four and seven over the last 11. You know, they didn't play well down the stretch. And then once the playoffs start, they just turn it on and, and run through the East. Now, obviously, they had Kyrie and Boston didn't. Uh, a big part of this, let's see what Isaiah gives him. You're right. He's not going to give them anything defensively. But can he give them enough offensively to, you know, help them beat the Celtics? I still think so. But I'm, I, I have to admit, a lot of this is just trusting in LeBron. Because the, he's still in his prime, and nobody in the East has been able to give him any problems for years. So there, there is a big part of that. There's no question. Here's the question that I would have then is, you know, you're already starting to hear trade talk coming out of the media in, in Cleveland, whether it's is Tristan Thompson for DeAndre Jordan a viable type of deal. Um, you're seeing speculation about what they would do with that Brooklyn pick. If I'm Kobe Altman and, and to a higher degree Dan Gilbert, that pick has got to be off limits. That pick Thank has got to be put in a lockbox and away from anyone <laughs> with any power to move that pick because you just can't roll the dice. I mean, I'm not a college basketball expert, Chris, but I caught Marvin Bagley over the weekend, and that dude can play. Everything I hear about Luka Doncic is that he can play. Everything I've heard about Michael Porter pre-injury is that he can play. This could be a draft where there are like four. This could be like the class of 03 in some ways uh, with with the number of franchise players that could be available. You absolutely, for DeMarcus Cousins, DeAndre Jordan, I don't care who it is. You've got to put that pick away in a lockbox. And I'm, and maybe it's just the speculation that I'm seeing out of, Cle- out of Cleveland, but I'm starting to wonder if they feel the same way. They, I'm totally with you. I have said it. The only way you even consider, even consider giving up that pick, is if LeBron James comes to you and says, look, I'm staying for the long haul. Let's, let's try to win it this year and make a move that's going to make us better in the future, but I'm signed on and get him to sign. If you can't, 
you know, like I am here, I'm ending my career in Cleveland, or at least my prime years in Cleveland. That's the only way I consider as much as a DeMarcus Cousins might help. I love Cousins' game. But, you know, let's face it, he hasn't won at all. I mean, they're playing okay in New Orleans. But, you know, that's the only way I would consider trying to get a Cousins. I think DeAndre Jordan would help him. That would shore up what we just talked about, at least to some degree, their defense. So those moves might help them, but I don't even consider them unless LeBron is on board. And some people might say, well, even then, you could be getting, you know, the, a guy that's going to be a superstar for the next 15 years. I would give it up if I knew I was keeping LeBron. I think LeBron's got probably four years left as a top five player. You should still be able to be a contender, I think, during those years. With, you know, you make other moves, especially if you get a Jordan or a Cousins and you can keep them, you know, as, once they become free agents. So I would do it. There's a hometown kid. You'll, you'll be one of the main storylines in the league as long as he's there. I would give up the pick if I knew I was keeping LeBron. But outside of that, I'm not considering it. I mean, Tristan Thompson and the number one pick for DeAndre Jordan, <laughs> there's neither one of those moves, Jordan or Cousins, neither one of them makes you a favorite against Golden State. It, might, it would help. It would give you a better chance. But neither one of those is a move where you say, okay, we're even with the Warriors. We can beat the Warriors, barring unless they're injured or something. And so I still don't make that move, you know, to give up that top pick because you don't know, forget the guys you would trade for if they would leave. You don't know if LeBron's staying. And like you said, if they get one of these top players that maybe becomes a superstar for the next 10, 15 years, that's your insurance against LeBron leaving. And so I'm totally with you. And, and I look, I think Kobe Altman is very smart. The moves over the summer haven't panned out the way a lot of people thought they would. I still think it was a all things considered wasn't a bad summer. I mean, clearly Boston at this point has gotten the better of that Kyrie Irving deal. But you did get back an MVP candidate last year and Isaiah Thomas. I mean, for what you could do, it wasn't a bad deal, I don't think. Um, so I think he's a smart guy, and I'm with you. There's, I can't believe he would consider making that move, even if you're getting pressured by LeBron and his, his guys. Even if there's pressure and they're like, we got to win now, you got to make a move, I still don't do it. I'm like, look, you got to commit. I can't make that move if you don't commit long-term, and I don't think LeBron's going to commit long-term. Not that he's definitely leaving, but I don't think he's going to commit and so I, I can't, I can't give up that trade. No way. I would do Jordan for Tristan and like the Cavs first round pick, mm. you know. But to do it for the the Nets first round pick, no way. Totally it, off limits if I'm Kobe Altman. Even if you were to make a deal like that and acquire a Jordan or a Cousins, and they would be willing to stay long term. Think about that. You'd either be committing to a five man who can't shoot from beyond like five feet outside the basket in a league where <laughs> everybody has shooters and or or I would say you'd have to do what the Sacramento Kings wouldn't do which is make a long-term commitment to it, when Sacramento becomes 
the, the voice of reason in, in a situation, <laughs> that's when you know you've gone off the rails in, in making a commitment to, to Cousins uh, with that long term. I, I think you got well, I mean, yeah. If you traded for Cousins, let's say, and again, let's say that you can get Cousins for love and something else, you know, without giving up the Brooklyn pick. Then these last three months or whatever it would be and the playoffs, to me that would be, that would be like a test. For Cousins, because if he either gave us, you know, problems in the locker room, which, you know, I, I don't think he would with LeBron there, or if he just didn't help you win, didn't make you a better team, then you could let him walk. You know, and may, it, who knows what LeBron's going to do, but maybe he will walk as well, whatever. But, I, you know, I, I wouldn't – if I traded for Cousins in February, I wouldn't necessarily be thinking I've got to re-sign him. It would all be based on what happens after that point. As long as, again, as long as I don't give up that Brooklyn pick. If I have to give up Kevin Love um, and you're thinking, well, I could have kept Kevin Love long-term even if LeBron leaves, I don't think Kevin Love by himself is really going to help you uh, if LeBron's not there. I mean, you're not going to be a great team for sure. So I wouldn't mind losing him to get Cousins and give it a shot. But... um, you know, I, I, I'm with you on the long-term commitment to Cousins. Let me finish with this. Um, the Clippers, they stopped the bleeding a little bit. They beat Atlanta. They, they beat Sacramento. Um, but, but they're still a team very much in disarray. I mean, we, we talked about a potential Jordan trade, but my biggest question is how long Doc Rivers is still there, whether his own volition or uh, whether he, he's forced out uh, to some on, on some level. Yeah. Uh, Doc has never been a big fan of rebuilding. The Clippers uh, either look like they are rebuilding or are going to be in the uh, foreseeable future. What's your read about you know, what the Clippers could look like over the next couple of months? Well, as you said, that is the big question, how long Doc lasts. And look, we're not out of line to wonder and feel like he doesn't want to be there. You know, I mean, when, since, what, 2008, or really 2007 when it started, the season started. Every year since then, nine straight seasons, he has been playing for a championship. Now, I know the Clippers never got past the second round, but that was a team where you felt like we're in the hunt. And they were. They were a legitimate top five, six team in the league every year. You know, and and Boston was, too, for his tenure there. So he has always entered seasons – coached throughout seasons and entered playoffs, think, barring the injuries, thinking we've got a shot, you know, at least to get deep to the conference finals or something. And there is no way he is happy coaching a team that at best just makes the playoffs and goes out in the first round. I mean, he said it when he left Boston. He didn't want to go through a rebuild. You know he doesn't want to go through a rebuild. Now, but I get it. He's not walking away because, you know, you're not surrendering that contract. So, you know, the question is how long Barmer goes with them. My feeling right now, you know, he's got the injury excuse, for lack of a better word. Beverly obviously is not coming back. But, you, you know, you've been down three starters, Beverly, Teodosic, and uh, Gallinari. So I think as they get healthier – if the losing continues, I mean, Atlanta, Sacramento victories don't mean anything. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the losing continues and they continue to struggle mightily, even as they get healthier, 
that's then I think Doc could be in trouble. And I think one of the assistants, Woodson Cassell, they take over. And then over the summer, they make a new hire. Because then, you know, you, you've obviously made the choice to build around Blake. We'll, we'll see what they would do with DeAndre Jordan, whether it's trading him or as a free agent. Uh, then at least you can sell it's a new era. You know, we got Blake and we're bringing in a new coach, a new style of play and all of that. So I think that's the way it would go if these struggles continue. I don't think Doc would make it through the year. Would Ballmer force him out? Because, I, I, first of all, Lawrence Frank's not going to do it. Um, it it yeah. would be Steve Ballmer, the owner there. Do you think he'd force him out or do you think it would be Doc walking away? Or maybe, you know, you get one of those mutual decision kind of press releases down the line. Well, I think that they'd have a talk, you know, um, they've had a close relationship. But the fact that Ballmer took Doc's responsibilities in the front office away from him, that says a lot. And you're right. Is Lawrence Frank going to do it? Doubtful. Doc brought him there, obviously. But, you know, when it first came out that Lawrence was the president now and all that, I kind of still thought Doc had control. You know, I still thought, okay, this is just on paper. Doc's got to be running the show. And then, obviously, we find out that's not the case. And so that is a big step and shows that, you know, I, I'm sure Doc wasn't happy with that. You know, maybe there was some feeling that Doc wouldn't settle for that and would walk away on his own or at least, you know, talk to him about, well, let's do something mutual. You know, it could be a mutual decision, but maybe have to go down as a firing or if it's a buyout, somehow he's going to get his money, whether it's mutual or it's an actual firing. I, I think that's really the only question. I mean, I, I could easily, as I said, see it being mutual because I can't believe Doc's happy being there. Um, but, I, I, again, I, I think that there's going to have to be a move uh, if this continues. You heard a lot of rumblings. Obviously, there was a lot of talk that Doc, you know, his relationship with Chris Paul – that was a reason they lost Chris. And as much as they weren't going to win a title with Chris there, again, they still were in the hunt. They still were one of those top four seeds in the, in the, uh, you know, in the West and still a, a sexy team uh, that got talked about. So there's something to be said for that in a league that's also a business. Um, so, you know, players coming out saying Doc was overrated and wasn't a great coach and all that. So all of that swirling around. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not saying he'll definitely get fired this year, but if it continues, the struggles continue. What when they get healthier? Yeah, I could see him being being the scapegoat and them getting rid of him. Chris, great stuff, man. I know you're busy out there. I appreciate you taking some time. Uh, keep up the great work over at FS1, the In the Zone podcast. You can download right after you're done listening to this one over at uh, iTunes. And uh, thanks again, man. We'll catch up soon. Hey, man, enjoyed it as always. All right, before I get to Vince Ellis, I've got to tell my listeners about a great deal by Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Support for this podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and your family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. 
It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Mannix, equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Joining me on the podcast now from the Detroit Free Press, covered the Pistons for a long time, Vince Ellis. Vince, thanks for joining me, man. What's up, Chris? How's it going? Well, we're sitting here, and if there's some, we should let the audience know if there's some ambient uh, noise. We're doing this from the Equinox in Boston, where the Pistons just finished up there. It's atmosphere. It's atmosphere. You're right. It's atmosphere. Um, so we're recording this here just after the Pistons shoot around, and I'm glad you're here to talk about this because Detroit. I mean, Boston gets talked about a lot as one of the biggest surprises in the NBA. Gordon Hayward goes down. Everything happens. They're playing great basketball, but Detroit, after last season. I didn't really have any expectations for this team, Vince, but they're coming off a win against Oklahoma City. They're well above 500. Um, I, I guess in a general sense, how surprised are you with the way Detroit's playing right now? Well, I guess I'm not that surprised, uh, but going through the season, um, basically my the range was either 36 wins or 46 wins, so it's, you still really didn't know what you had here. Um, I guess the, uh, the two choices they had last year where they struggled all year. Reggie Jackson um, had the left knee tendonitis that bothered them all year, and the team struggled eight games in the below 500. But if you go back before last season, people were predicting them to take, take this jump because they played well the year before, were competitive against the Cavs in the first round of that playoff series. So basically maybe you can look at it, maybe the jump is a whether well, you're delayed because – they didn't realize they'd have to work to make that jump. They just maybe thought it was assumed that it would just come to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there are a couple things you said there that, that I want to unpack. And I want to begin, though, with Drummond and, and how he's playing, specifically the free-throw shooting. Now, mm-hmm. he tweaked his shot in the offseason. I mean, maybe a little stronger than tweaked, but he changed Pretty his different. shot in the offseason. And now, as we speak, he's right around 60% uh, from the free-throw line. I, I mean, with him shooting that, what have you noticed about how teams are – are playing against him in the fourth quarter and how Stan's able to use him in the fourth quarter. Well, the Hackadre stuff, it went away some last year with the new rule change and stuff where they tried to address it, but it still averted itself. I mean, still, it still will prop up every now and then. Matter of fact, Brad Stevens is a guy who maybe in the past where him, Bud Holes, or a couple other guys would just kind of do it as soon as they went to the penalty, they would immediately start doing it. Last year was more strategic with the new rule change. This year I haven't seen it at all because he shot 80% in the, free, in, the, in the preseason, decent sample size, 60 for 20. And it carried over into the season where he was up around in the high 70s. Now there were going to be some regression. You know guys who are historically the worst free throw shooters in the NBA history are not going to suddenly become 80% free throw shooters in one year. But, you know, even when he does miss, he hasn't has turned into like a – uh, 0 for 20 or 3 for 20 or something like that, even when he misses one, he's been able to correct himself and prevent like some crazy uh, mispercentage. So teams, I have not, we have not seen the hack, hack of stuff yet this year. How confident is he with that shot? Because that's what it comes down to, right? Like he's got to step to that free throw line confident that he's going to be able to make it. From what you've seen of him preseason to now, I mean, how confident is he in, in that he's going to make those shots? I would say very confident. Um, there was a uh, uh, a game against the Atlanta Hawks this year. They had a big lead. 
as uh, Stan was talking about earlier. This year, big league team evaporate quickly. The Hawks took the lead. Um, it was Boston a back- falls behind by twenty every night. So yes, that's exactly. Their- <laughs> um, so, uh, but there was a key late possession where Rudy Jackson fouled him along the baseline. He got fouled. He went to the free throw line and knocked down two free throws. And I told, asked him after the game, you know, you wanted that situation. Yeah, I wanted to. He's confident in that situation. Um, he's confident when he does miss a shot that he, but he's worked at it so much, has a, has a uh, motion that he's comfortable with, he's pretty much certain he can correct it before it turns into one of those abominable nights, uh, which, it, which he could, he, it may happen in the future, but again, he's confident that he, he can snap out of it, whereas maybe in the past, he was not, con- he was not confident. That's got to completely change what the Pistons can be, because you're right, the rule changes, they helped him last year, but they're still... You know, in the fourth quarter, you, you would still see teams try to follow him, send a 35-plus mm-hmm. percent free throw shoot to the line. And that had to have wreaked havoc with everything that Stan tried to do uh, with this team. Now, I mean, he's such a – I mean, he really is an elite defensive player and an elite uh, rebounding uh, – a rebounder that position. That's got to completely change what this team is in the fourth quarter of games. No doubt, and he's played like it. Uh, you know, there's still probably nights where Stan will probably tell you that maybe he's not as engaged as he should be, but – it's, That's it's, the other part of it too, Vince. It's happening that, less. Yes, like there, and, I, and I actually asked. I, I talked to Stan about that. About you know, other t- uh, uh, coaches tell me that he's playing harder on on every possession. Stan goes, well, not every possession, but yeah. it's he's playing harder this year than it was last year. Well, a perfect example was the last game they played against Oklahoma City, like two points and like four rebounds against Stephen Adams. And Stephen Adams is a one of those energy guys who's coming at you co- constantly. Um, Stan Van Gundy challenged the team and Andre's manhood at halftime. Andre completely destroyed uh, Stephen Adams in the first half. I mean, blocking a shot, um, just a tear on the offensive glass, um, defensively everywhere. Um, so he, we saw the two sides of the coin even the other day. And I don't know if it's it just NBA players are not going to be there all the time. It's just with the grind of the schedule, 82 games, it's just not going to be there. And I guess the, prop, the issue with Andre is he didn't answer the bell always. But this year, he's answered the bell more often times than not. You know, you mentioned two years ago, and two years ago, it looked like they had the makings of a great 1-5 combination. Reggie Jackson, a borderline all-star a couple of years ago, and Drummond, who looked like a franchise center. Jackson, another guy that kind of took a step back last year, and... I mean, look, let's, let's be real. I mean, the Pistons shopped him. They mm-hmm. looked to, to, to move him, and I think if they had been able to get a real first-round pick, they might have done it in, in a should. deal uh, for Reggie Jackson. This year, it seems like he's just much more comfortable out there. Maybe that's because Avery Bradley's taking some pressure off him defensively. Maybe it's something else. But what do you see in, in Reggie? Well, the main thing is, and he, he kind of alluded to it, he's healthy now. Last year, um, he, the team, in retrospect, they feel like they maybe they rushed him back. Uh, they didn't maybe... Uh, they were more concerned with the physical aspects of it and not necessarily the mental aspects of it. Uh, uh, Stan tried to act like it was 2015-16 when he did come back and run and pick and roll all day, all night, putting him a heavy offensive load on him. In retrospect, he knows that probably wasn't the best way to handle it last year. And this year, they decided to back off, just rest all summer, get make sure you manage to manage that pain. And you know what? We're not going to – we're going to try – and in the meantime, we're going to try to diversify our offense. And you look, Avery Bradley has a career-high usage, usage rate. So they're running a lot of stuff for him. But still, though, when the, when the uh, crunch time, they're 1-5 pick and roll with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. And more often times than not this year, Reggie's come through for them because – and 
He's just not maybe not being used as much over the course of the game, but at crunch time, it's still time for him to go be a clutch player. And for, again, for the most part, he's answered the call this year. You know, he, he's probably never going to be an All Star because not. the conference is what it is, and the All Star the point that position. In is the scheme of things, I would say he's a good to solid point guard. He's not an All Star level point guard. But that's worth like a good to solid point guard is worth eighty million dollars. He just is. In that's today's just, NBA, that's the market. He yeah, is that's the like market. that's that's you know I don't think the Pistons if if this the way that Reggie's playing right now. I don't think Detroit would be at all bothered by the money or anything else. I think they want. It seems to me like they. Matter of fact, the they, would, they would argue that he's probably underpaid, basically, uh, by how, basically how the market exploded. Maybe two years ago, maybe not now. It's kind of like come back to reality last summer, but two years ago, when you look at the, the money that came out of the the summer of uh, Alan Krabs and all those guys oh, yeah. got paid. I mean, they would summer say, of sixteen. That yes, was, they would mm. say they. He's probably making. He's he's right at market value what he should be making. Mm. So you mentioned Bradley, and he comes over from Boston. I believed, Vince, last year that Avery Bradley was the most underrated player in the NBA. I thought he was – you don't get two-way players that shoot high percentages from both the floor and the three who are arguably the best defensive player at their position. He was great for Boston. How has he been uh, with Detroit? He's been a godsend. The only thing that maybe you could quibble with is he has a high turnover rate going, um, and that's probably because he's being used – um, as a lot more a bigger part of the offense than ever than he's ever been accustomed to. So Stan hopes and Avery both both are saying he's being he's being put in a position where he's a little uncomfortable doing, but he's come through for the most part in this situation. And matter of fact, has some huge scoring nights, has made some big shots, but once he gets the turnovers down, you he be, will be even more effective. But uh, the the Pistons would do that trade again, again, and again, averaging a career high in points. Uh, uh, shooting over 46 from three, mid-40s from two. I mean, he's just been a – and providing great defense. He defended Russell Westbrook the previous way, basically harassed him into a 10-for-29 shooting night. So um, the Pistons would do that trade over and over again, even though they lost a the play they really like a lot, Marcus Morris. But uh, just Avery Bradley, as you put it, one of the best two-way players in the game. How does he fit uh, alongside a Reggie maybe differently than KCP did? last year um, with this team? Well, because he probably can do more things on the floor. Um, also, um, you know, KCP uh, is a very talented player, but the fact that Avery has been a part of a winning organization, he just carries more weight. And as a matter of fact, they both have kind of similar personalities and kind of like quiet, uh, but Avery's done it, been doing it, doing it longer. Um, part of winning teams, part of a guy who's made big shots against them, uh, they see him on TV making game-winning shots and playoffs like he get against the Celtics last year. I'm sorry, against the Cavs last year. Um, so he just carries a weight and also professionalism, a guy who gets in there, gets his work done. Matter of fact, I had this joke with Stan earlier this year when he was going on just raving about Avery Bradley. I said, well, darn, Stan, what does he need you for? What does he need a coach for? And Stan said, you know what? You really don't have to coach him. Basically, you have to – he has to know what the game plan is, what you guys are doing and everything. But as far as, like, all the stuff about getting better, taking care of his body, making sure he gets proper rest, which you know is a problem in the league and stuff, he's the guy that stand up and say anything to him about it because Avery does all that stuff already. The one thing I know about Avery is Avery wants to get paid when the summer comes. I mean, he has long felt that he is one of the more underpaid players in the league, and he is, he is because he is. of what he's what he got what he deal agreed to several years ago. Um, with Detroit's cap situation, with what they want to be, do you think they'll blink at offering him? I don't know if he's a max player at this point, but it, it's going to be a big number for Avery Bradley. And even though the market isn't what it was two years ago, it won't be. 
um, as robust next summer either. I, I still think there's going to be a lot of teams lined up for a late 20s two-way player who has yeah, proven himself to be a winner. Well, here's what I would – in reading it right now, and obviously you know stuff fluid, uh, I think if the Pistons have a good team, uh, if this continues – the owner will not care about a luxury tax. He will be like, okay, let's keep this together and let's keep let's keep doing this. But you know, let's say if it's uh, they peter out and become like a seven or eight seed, I would expect what would probably happen is they would pay whatever it would take to keep Avery and just move someone else um, and just to, just to shed salary. Um, and they have other people. If they keep playing well, six trade values and stuff will probably go up on the guys. But you know, if they need to dump a contract, they just dump a contract and keep him. Um, that's what they would do. And, Right now, that's how I read it. The other guy um, that that has taken a step forward this year is Tobias Harris, uh, you know, required. And I think when he came up from Orlando, everybody said that's a great fit. That's a guy that can be the stretch four. He's a floor spacer. Stan loves those stretch fours, dating back to Richard Lewis days. Didn't quite work out that way uh, last season. What's been different with Tobias Harris this year? He fell. He finally embraced the three point shot. Um, over the years, he's been a guy who. His natural inclination is get that, drive that thing to the basket, drive that thing to the basket. And, you know, the guy who necessarily wasn't really considered a threat from three-point three point line, he basically was driving right into the teeth of the defense. And, you know, it worked. He's an efficient scorer. He had a solid mid-range scorer. But to really get his game to the next level, he had to embrace the three-point shot. Stan has been on him ever since he got him. Like, let it go. Let it fly. And this year he's letting it fly. Um, shoot, I think, like, like the first 12 games of the year, he was shooting over 50% from three, and he really worked on it, uh, really tried to embrace it, and he embraced the three-point shot like the rest of the league, and, you know, he's found another level for his game because he could knock that shot down now. I've said this to a couple of coaches um, that, that have played against the Pistons. I said, look, if you're a team in the top four, if you're a Boston or a Cleveland or a Washington, Detroit right now looks like the last team I'd want to face in that, you know, if they're finished four, five, six, whatever it is. Do you think what they're doing right now is sustainable? I mean, right now they're in that kind of the middle of that Eastern Conference playoff field. Does this look like a team that that can maintain, you know, injuries aside, can be consistent here? I, you know, if you'd ask me that question maybe a week ago, um, I would say, eh, I don't know. But the more and more I'm around them, um, the win at OKC, which they were down 15, and OKC is a tough place to play. Uh, they were able to come back and get that win, and um, they seem to have a belief about them this year. They don't panic. They uh, they have a fight in them. They uh, they've come back, even though Stan says that it's pretty much routine. But they've come back from double digit deficits seven times this year. Um, I'm beginning to think, you know, they might be able to hang around this year. I, I'm, I'm getting they're they're convincing me. They are. Uh, I'm slowly warming to them. I guess. Is what how you what are you skeptical of then? What's the you know, as you look ahead two, three months of how this team might play, what's the, the, the question mark here? Okay, there's two things. I think they're really shooting it at a really uh, three-point range, range at a really high clip now. Don't take maybe as many as other teams do, but they're really knocking down a lot. I, mean, I think I, top five, uh, if, if I remember correctly, three-point shooting team. Um, that's one thing I wonder, can they sustain that? That's the main thing. But, you know, Reggie's shooting around 37%. And, uh, I, Tobias is shooting it better. Uh, Avery shooting over 40%. Uh, that's something he's never done. Tobias has never shot at the rate he's done. I mean, they got good shooters in Luke Kennard and, uh, and uh, Langston Galloway. But guys who are shooting a lot of them, like Avery Bradley and Tobias, can they keep shooting at the level that they're shooting at? That's, that's my question. That's probably my main question mark right now. I'd, I'd love to see Drummond at, if he's a 75% to 80% free throw shooter at some point this season, I mean, 
that's his top. Like, I just that's the most astonishing stat to me in the league this year right now that he's in that sixty range where he was for a while. He's shooting better than people like uh, he was shooting better than people like Russell Westbrook I mean, and this uh, is a thirty and something yeah. percent. For, this was you know a name Detroit Smith. This was Ben Wallace. Like yeah. this is like yeah. just firing up brick after brick. And I remember you're right. It wasn't the same last year as it was in years past. But he was getting fouled all the time. Yeah. It was in like, the past. It was, like, it was routine. It was routine. It was Matt bigger Fatt. than Hackett Dwight. Aaron, if Aaron Baines was on the team a couple of years ago, they wouldn't have been made the playoffs because they basically would put a, a, a functioning center in the games and, and Stan had no problem pulling him out. So it's, it kind of works well because uh, he really doesn't have an Aaron Baines on the bench this year. Uh, so Andre's free throw sh- shooting improvement has really coincided well with the fact that Aaron Baines is not here anymore or with the Pistons anymore. So he doesn't have that security blanket anymore to, uh, in these late games and stuff. So it is, it's, it's truly amazing. And if he can keep it up, if he can, if, I would say if he can keep it up, Above 60, it'd be yeah. an amazing story. Well, 60, they're not going to follow you in the fourth. Like, they're not going to send you the free throw line if there's a better than, you know, better than 50, 60, yeah, exactly. 50 that you get yeah. two uh, free throws. So basically, 60% keeps, 60% does a good job of knocking that strategy away. People don't even deploy the strategy anymore mm. against you. Mm. How's, uh, let me finish with this. Stan obviously oper- uh, you know, has dual roles with his team. He's the president and the, uh, the head coach. Um, look, it, it, has worked out some places. We just saw Doc Rivers lose his title as team president in uh, in, in L.A. How's it been with Stan in those two roles here? How has he, he handled them? Um, you know, I would say going into the season, I would have given him a C plus um, because you got to look at where the Pistons were when he took over, and evidently the, look at the roster. The roster has been completely overhauled, um, and the roster is better than the one he inherited. But the one thing that keeps him, I think – um, from being having a really high grade is cap mismanagement. And Aaron Baines' scenario is a perfect example of that. Uh, we talked about it just then. Um, two summers ago, when all that money was coming out, coming down the pipe, um, they went out and signed Boban Marjanovic because they, they had a spare extra uh, some money around to, to throw around. And they, they threw s- a lot at him. They, three years, $21 million. And he can't even get on the floor now because defensively he just cannot play in today's NBA. If they had not have done that signing, they would have had the money to bring back Aaron Baines last summer. And right now, basically there's a hole at backup center behind Andre Drummond right now. Right? That hole would be would be completely uh, – uh, would not be there because Aaron was open to coming back. If they would had the money to pay him more than the Celtics paid him, he would have came back there. He would have been glad to come back there. So cap mismanagement is the one area where I think you can definitely ding this uh, front office on. You know, John Lure is another bad contract they have. Mm. Another guy, a guy who got paid in 2016, where basically they were just throwing money. Money was just raining down out of the skies. Mm. So and I think a front office's job is, you know what, all this money being spent right now, we ain't got to step out there like this. Mm-hmm. We can look for cheaper alternatives for these guys we're spending all this money for, which is basically what efficient our front offices do. So mm-hmm. that's really the only area that I would ding the Stan Van Gundy area on. So basically the roster's better than what he inherited, but uh, if you want to be critical of something, it's the cap management, which, which makes me give them a C+. Mm-hmm. Certainly a relevant team again, though, which no is doubt. A, a step up for, for the last couple of years. Uh, Vince, always great to see you, man. Thanks for uh, joining me here on the podcast. No problem. Thanks, Chris. Anytime. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Chris Broussard and Vince Ellis for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week.
Thank you for downloading this episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. He hasn't really distinguished himself. Chris is in desperate need of validation. I, I think your opinion is shared by everyone. So please, subscribe, like, comment. I, I would punch him. I, that's, that's just my opinion. At your earliest convenience in the iTunes store. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.